We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Great news from Sprint. The wait is finally over. The new Samsung Galaxy Note 10 with the powerful S Pen has arrived at Sprint and you can get it for 50% off with a Sprint Flex lease. That's right. Get the power of performance and productivity of the Galaxy Note 10 for less than $20 per month. There's never been a better time to switch. To learn more, visit your local Sprint store, sprint.com slash Galaxy Note 10 or call 800 Sprint 1 today. 1979 a month after 1980 monthly credit applied within two bills with approved credit 18 month lease and new line of service. If canceled early, remain balance due. Exclusive tax coverage and offer not available everywhere. Third calculation fee restrictions apply. It's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast, powered by Campus Insiders, with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Episode 13 of the Gator Nation Football Podcast. This is Florida State Week. I'm your co-host James DiVirgilio alongside Alan Williams. Last week was a disaster. First we lose Will Greer on Friday evening until the middle of next year. And then we almost lose to a 2-8 and eight Florida Atlantic team. Alan, what's the deal? This was a rough one. I know you were there live and had to see it. I had to watch it on my phone at first before I could come back and rewatch it. It was rough sitting there feeling like we're going to have another one of these late game, I don't know, situations where we lose to a team like Georgia Southern, you know? And I, you know, this is an FBS team, not an FCS team like Georgia Southern was at the time. We still almost blew it here. But I don't know, James, give me your overall thoughts on this game. How'd you feel about it? A complete disaster. Uh, we said on the podcast last week that, that that FAU, especially I feel like I said that, I thought the game could be close, and I thought they, they could be good. They hadn't been blown out by anyone. They were beating Miami. They lost by two scores to two good teams in Western Kentucky and Marshall. So this is not an indictment on FAU. I think a lot of Gator fans, when they saw the point spread at 30, which I think I mentioned was like comical last week, felt like this was a Division II school, and, and they're not. So First, let me just say that FAU is is a good two and eight football. Yeah, props team. to Coach Partridge, who's on the pod last week, 
Uh, had his team ready to go there, for sure. No doubt. And I'm not taking anything away from them because they did play a good game. Uh, that That's a true statement. They played a good game. But obviously, I think really without Johnny Townsend, uh, maybe we lose this game. I know we had more chances than FAU. I know that McIlwain said the game shouldn't have been close, which is probably true. But if you look at the numbers, it's not that way. The numbers favor FAU in this game. And really, one of the big things was field position. So hats off to Johnny Townsend. I mean, the guy's an NFL kicker. He put, I don't know, five or six kicks inside the 20, three or four inside the 10, a couple inside the five. And that put FAU behind schedule all day. But if you take him away and you give us an average punter, I'm not so sure that we even win that game. Uh, which, again, is a disaster. I mean, that just shouldn't happen at home with a team that has so much to play for. Well, it was really tough, uh, you know, moving the ball on FAU. And I don't know that it should be. But when you don't have a kicker or a quarterback, that makes life really tough on an offense uh, because you can't game plan around anything, really. It's so hard to build, like, a strategy. It's like, okay, we're going to get close, be conservative, kick field goals. You know what? That's not going to happen. You can't be aggressive on offense. That's not going to happen either. You're kind of stuck in this weird no man's land. That's that's a tough place to be. Our offense is right now. We're in this terrible position. You know, where this is an inexperienced team, and so negative plays are going to happen, and they continue to happen. You know, uh, running back tackle behind the line of scrimmage or a penalty, and we just have zero ability to recover from that. On third and long, there's almost zero hope unless we have a long quarterback draw. Uh, so you know, previously with Will. Uh, at the quarterback spot, you know, if something bad happened, we had at least a possibility of overcoming it. Now it just feels like if we run for only one yard on first down, we're screwed. I don't know. And it begs the question to ask now, is this 2012? We're 10-1. and McIlwain's the first coach in Gator history to get 10 wins in his first season. It's a big mark. It was hard for us to get there. We certainly had some dramatic wins. But Will Muschamp had a great season in 2012. A lot of people thought that he was fantastic. I, at the time, had gone on record saying I did not believe in it at all. I thought it was a very smoke and mirrors year, uh, given what was going on. So the question, let's ask it to you. Is this 2012? Man, that's tough. I I had a, <laughs> gosh, had a moment watching us staring down the barrel of the gun there against FAU where I was wondering, is this our future now? Uh, even though it has a lot of similarities, a really strong defense, defense you know next to a really bad offense you know I've seen the ceiling with McIlwain though and it's much higher this team with Will Greer it could have been a really fantastic offense uh, this team doesn't have nearly as much offensive line talent as a, a previous Muschamp team so that's another factor so while on the surface there you can make those comparisons I would say no what about you yeah, I completely agree. And, and funny coming from someone who, again, went around telling anyone who would listen that 2012 was a fluky year, I would say the opposite. And certainly we've had some fluky quote-unquote wins. But if I look at the style and I look at how we do things, this is this is a good start for a coach. We run excellent routes. Guys are wide open every game. And that was something I did not see uh, even in the Muschamp era. We didn't have guys running wide open. We didn't have a system that I thought was coherent. Uh, in the FAU game, you can you can count 10 or 12 occasions when we just have two or three guys on our route patterns running free. The ball's not delivered. Uh, so there's, there's significant improvement with how the team plays. We don't get a lot of penalties. We play within ourselves. We know how to win games. So no, I don't think this is 2012. I do think this year is a bit fortunate on the upside, certainly. 
I also think it's really unfortunate given that we lost our starting quarterback. So it depends on how you look at it. But no, it's not 2012. Um, and, and with that, the other question that's been getting raised a lot is, is this all the offensive line's fault? Is it not Treon's fault? Is it just the offensive line? It seems to be a line of thinking that the media is taking. The Certainly Pat Dooley asked the question every single week. Hey, Coach McElwain, after the game, you know, can anyone succeed behind that offensive line? Kind of layup question. Uh, is it the offensive line's fault? Well, yes and no. Uh, certainly it presents problems when you have an incredibly inexperienced offensive line. We talked about this all year. It's been one of the headlines of the season. And for sure, they did not play well on Saturday. For some reason, I think FSU's smaller, quicker defensive line were just giving them fits. And we never really adjusted to it. It also doesn't help, you know, where Treon often, as he does really frequently, instead of climbing the pocket, you know, rolls back into the right, right into a rusher or something like that. Offensive line certainly did not have one of their better games. Um, so there's that's certainly a huge factor, but I, I wouldn't say it's the only factor. What about you? I, I know that you have some thoughts on this, like especially how important the QB position is in the modern game. Yeah, I think that in, in general, while we've had a shuffling of the offensive linemen, and we knew they were going to struggle, we said so in the beginning of the year, there's one player that's different primarily, and that's the quarterback. That's the main difference. Most of these linemen are the same. Sure, we've had a guy miss here or there, but Will did too. Will played games without a variety of guys. We have one different player, and this offense has gone on a free fall. Point scoring-wise, in games in South Carolina and FAU, they should have been putting up 35 or 40 points. So... You have to point the figure at the one guy that is different, the one variable that you've changed. And of course, this is not without incredible precedent. Quarterback is is often said to be the most important position in all of sports. I wholeheartedly agree with that. There's examples all around us every day, it seems, in football. Uh, one with the Dallas Cowboys. 0-7 without Tony Romo. 3-0 and with him. I mean, yeah, Dez Bryant was gone for a little bit of that and those sort of things. But the reality is one player makes a huge, huge difference. And you can go back and check any team you want, college or the NFL, and kind of take a look at what that means. Secondarily, in college, backup quarterbacks and even third stringers can do well. Notre Dame right now is on a third string quarterback. They have one loss. Their ceiling has come way down. They're still winning. He completes some passes. I watched Baylor throw in their second and then third string quarterback and drop bombs over the weekend on Oklahoma State. So other guys can play. So certainly the offensive line is doing things you would expect them to do. They're missing their blocks. But the, the real key here is this is like a band, a five-musician band, and one guy is consistently playing the wrong note. And that guy's the drummer. That's the most important guy to a band, to hold the melody together. And he's offbeat. And if he's offbeat, you could have the best guitarist and vocalist in the world. They are also offbeat. And I think a lot of that's going on with the offensive line. You don't know when Treon is going to throw where he is going to throw. None of those things have any tempo, and it's messing with their psyche, it's messing with their confidence, uh, and that's affecting the team as a whole. So, yes, the offensive line could get better. No, I do not think it's the problem, and I think it's almost frustrating and tiresome to read how often people just place all of this on the offensive line and say, well, Treon's got no shot because of the offensive line. I just do not buy that line of thinking. Yeah, it's when you watch the game, especially this week, we had so many chances to put this game away. Uh, you know, following a punt return, following great field position. At the end of the game, that was almost comical that, you know, we, they shank a punt and we start on their own 45 and I think we punt from their like 43 or something. I don't know what it was. 
with a chance to at least, you know, attempt a field goal. This team consistently in offense right now just can't get out of their own way. On, and, you know, the, the opportunities are there to score some points frequently, and they're just not able to capitalize. And that's got to be an incredibly frustrating thing for the coaching staff. So I don't know what the answer is really or what else we could do. Um, I mean, I don't see any real improvement from Triana, even though some people would say, I mean, small ones, very small ones, but not the kind that's going to allow you to win games against better opponents. Yeah, I mean, Trion is a, is a dumpster fire. The offense is a dumpster fire. There's no better way to say it. I know that <laughs> some people want to kind of sugarcoat this and cookie cutter, cookie cutter around the issue, but I can't think of one quarterback that started 10 games in a Gator uniform that I would not take above Trion. Not one. I would take Brantley. I would take Driscoll. And anyone who knows me personally knows that's an incredible statement. He is the worst Florida quarterback I've seen in the modern era. Um, he doesn't pull the trigger. He doesn't see the field. He doesn't throw to obviously wide open guys. It's very, very, very frustrating. Uh, we keep winning with him, which I guess is the silver lining here. But I think most importantly, and I think a lot of people will share this, I know you and I agree on this, college football for me is, is entertainment. I'm past the point of living and dying with these wins and losses. You know, I actually looked at my friend Steve in the stands and said, you know, if we lose this game against Florida Atlantic, emotionally, I don't even think I'll have a response. Because it, it, it's not, it doesn't matter. I had already sort of reconciled the fact that when Will was gone, the team was going to be at a lower ceiling. We're not going to win anything. I don't see us beating Alabama. So I'm in this numb state. But the most important thing is, it was actually really fun to watch football again in the swamp. It was fun to watch the Gators play. It's been years, seven or eight years since it's been fun to watch a Gator offense play football. And now it's just as bad as maybe it's ever been. And that's probably the worst part for me is it's just not entertaining. It's so the opposite of entertainment right now. And these are just college kids. You know, Trion's just a kid. He's out there. He's doing his best. He's trying his hardest. I don't fault him for that. Uh, obviously, if it's me, like we talked about, I go back to the game theory episode. I put anyone else in there. Walk-ons have been successful in college football. Baker Mayfield is a Heisman candidate at Oklahoma right now who's a walk-on quarterback. Jacob Guy on the roster apparently is being redshirted. I've never seen him play. It doesn't even matter. He can throw the ball, put him back there. I'm putting you, Allen, back there to throw the ball. Somebody else has to be back there. You need something to rejuvenate the team. Give guys something to believe in. It's not going to happen. McElwain's going to ride this Treon ship right down to the end of the season. Maybe he doesn't have a choice. Again, if it's me, I don't care. I'm putting anybody back there because what's happening is not working. It is a dumpster fire. It is really frustrating. And now here we are, oh, by the way, with Florida State and Alabama up on the docket. It's just a frustrating place to be as a Gator fan. So we're 10-1. and one. We're 10-1. and one. That's, That's a great year. To celebrate for I'm sure. really excited. We won the SEC East. That's great. But are we the worst one-loss team? We're 10th right now. We're ahead of several other one-loss teams. There's like, I don't know, 12 teams on this list in front of us here. Are we the worst one? Or are we the best one, maybe? I mean, wh where do you rank us on this list? Ooh, um, I would have to say near the bottom right now. I think in terms of what we've accomplished, our resume, I would put us a higher than most of these teams. But on a neutral field, I would favor almost every team above us. Maybe every single team. And there's some, you know, Houston, Toledo, Navy, some of these guys down at the bottom. Um, 
Uh, UNC, I think we could play with all these teams. Uh, we're pretty tough to blow out because our defense is, you know, maybe the best in the country. But, man, I don't know that I would be confident in us beating any one last team. What about you? I, I would not be confident either. I think we're near the bottom of the list, and it's just so sad because you know what's so weird about this year is that if Will Greer is still on this football team, I'm sitting here saying I think we're maybe the best team in the country. And, and you know, this is my vantage point. So everyone now obviously clearly knows that James's opinion is highly skewed towards quarterbacks, which I just think is true in sport. Quarterbacks are what win championships in football. And one guy does make that much of a difference. And because we don't have that guy, now here I am saying that I think Houston and Toledo and Navy could play with us. I think Navy would beat us, personally. Yeah. Toledo, maybe. Houston's looked poor recently. Ohio State, I mean, I hate Ohio State. They look terrible. But, like, what do we look like? Really, take off your gator glasses and turn on the TV and pretend like you're just watching us play and tell me that you don't think we look like a train wreck out there. I mean, obviously, if FAU could beat us, anybody could beat us. So um, that's the kind of spot we're in right now, you know, like you said, heading into a couple really big games. So you mentioned at the top, we got some really bad news for the future of the program with Will Greer. Um, so fill us in on that for people who don't know. Well, last week on the show, we surfaced a deep rumor <laughs> Wow, that was wildly exciting. And uh, obviously, we prefaced it as a deep rumor. And this is not an inside source that's correct. You know, This is not Chris Mortensen reporting on something for ESPN. We thought we'd share it because, one, it was fun and it was exciting. And that seemed to be the consensus with what the quote-unquote people close to the program were thinking. They were very surprised by the news on Friday. Florida was surprised. Yeah, there was the a lot of Friday. confidence that he was at least going to get it. Uh, reduced down to the season. Now, the SEC title game thing was yeah, a total... Yeah, that was a total, you know, prayer. But most people, strong consensus was that he'd be back by next year, in the beginning of next year, and he'd be able to start practicing in the spring and, and knowing that he was going to play. Obviously, that is gone. So right now, his suspension goes through six games into, of next year. And because the Missouri and LSU game are flopped next year, he winds up missing the LSU game again, which just, you know, again less miles maybe he's not going to be at lsu anymore after this year there's a lot of smoke but certainly less continues to like have some special deal made to where he always dodges our best shot but that now creates a concrete situation that is off the table will is not coming back unless he goes the tom brady route and challenges the ncaa he's not coming back and that gives us some new realities to look towards one of which is who else is on our roster starting fall of next year we know one guy jack del rio's son luke del rio Alabama uh, quarterback, then transferred to Oregon State, then transferred again because they switched coaches. He's one. Treon's the other. And the third could be a potential five-star recruit, depending on who you're you're buying into, maybe which one of these guys will be, or right. or no one else, and it could be those two There guys. is a guy, a, two, a very low-rated two-star recruit that we have committed right now, a very developmental guy, and then uh, possibly flipping another big-time recruit. But with recruiting, you can never count on any of that. So there will be some competition, whether it's relevant to beating out Treon or not, remains to be seen. But how does this really impact Florida's – like, why is this so bad, other than him just missing the actual games? How does this hurt us um, as a program, ha- having him suspended all the time? Well, as a program, it hurts so many things. Now if you're a top receiver, you think to yourself, who's, who's quarterback next year? What's the offense look like? I don't know anything about this Luke Del Rio character. In the middle of the season, you're going to have a controversy. So assuming Will stays enrolled, stays in the school, which, I mean, I don't, I don't see a reason why he wouldn't, but you never know what's going to happen. If he's still here, you have this monster lurking in the middle of next year. 
But Will will have not played a football game for one year. And you enter into the middle of a season. What's our record? What's going on? So I think to put a nutch, like a little wrapper around this, right? You have a huge distraction that's going to be hovering over the 2016 season. It's just a mega distraction. And then you have so much uncertainty. Is essentially you have another quarterback competition. When back in September of this year, when we'd solved that, we really were like, okay, great. We talked about it on the podcast. You have Will now. You build your program around Will. You recruit around Will. Then you get your next quarterback in the next cycle, who then becomes the next Will. And now you've built this sustainable sort of on-schedule program. Well, now all that stuff is out the window. Of course, in the chair that I sit in, I don't think Treon's improving. I don't think he fits the system. I don't think he fits many systems. So you're you're hoping that Luke Del Rio is the answer temporarily, who's the guy who hasn't even really seen the field aside from one game, deep backup role at Alabama. So it sets everything in this uncertain motion to where we don't know what's going on. Right, and also just really, I think, limits Will's progression as a quarterback. He's going to miss not only all of these games a chance to improve, but you can't really give him all the starters reps in spring practice over the summer into fall. All those chances to be the lead guy, they can't really give to him because they got to come out and win games um, in the fall. And like you said, a huge distraction. So this is about a crushing, a blow as you can get without NCAA sanctions, like real scholarship limitations. I can't think of a uh, a heavier, you know, hand dealt to any kind of program that didn't like openly cheat. So just a tough spot for this program and 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 Will and I, I know his family and him are feeling you know probably pretty bad about it right now. But I don't know that that's a tough one for Florida. But the Gators still have a lot ahead of them. Big week against FSU, and we're gonna kind of move towards that in the program. But right now, let's talk to our Gator Nation guest, uh, one of my favorite players ever. Let's bring him on. We are joined now by Chris Leak, former star Florida quarterback, helped the team win the 2006 National Championship, four-year starter, two-time captain, one of the more beloved Gators, I think, in recent history. Chris, thanks so much for being on today. Uh, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's always fun to uh, talk about my Gators, you know. I- I grew I grew up and and uh, grew up loving the Gators and got an opportunity to play for the University of Florida, obviously, and coach. So it's uh, it's been great. It's been great to uh, to see my Gators play and see them doing so well. And Chris, tell us about what you're doing right now. We know you're with the Bucks, but tell us a little bit about what what life is like for Chris Leak today. Well, it's good. It's yeah, I'm, I'm with the Tampa Bay Bucks and. Uh, my I'm working in football development, which is a mix of like community relations, marketing, and uh, player development, all put in one with a big emphasis on youth. So it's a uh, it's a great it's a great deal. I, I really try. I've always been interested on the uh, the operation side and the business side of football. Uh, I got an opportunity to coach um, at Florida, uh, as I spoke of, and this is this has always been an interest to me. So it's it's always good to stay in the sport of football and be with a great organization um, and a great team. I tell you what, we had a huge win against Philly last, last this past weekend and, uh, you know, looking forward to bigger and better things. And since Jameis Winston is the quarterback of the Bucks, and it's, it's Florida, Florida state week, you guys get a chance to razz each other a little bit about, about the upcoming <laughs> week. Yeah. We, uh, every now and then we'll get the chance, uh, you know, to talk and talk about the robbery and, you know, we get we get to go have a friendly back and forth, so it's uh, it's always fun to 
you know, to, to go uh, to talk about the game, talk about the rivalry, and, you know, just kind of reminisce a little bit. And speaking of the rivalry, what are your thoughts, if you recall back to being a player, on what it was like for Florida State week? Was it different than all the other weeks during the season? I'll tell you what, it it, it, it is different. It's, it's different in the sense that a lot of the guys on both teams um, – either play with each other in high school, played against each other often. And uh, I actually, I had to learn that. I had to learn that it was a different game. Um, obviously watching it, you know, it's the robbery game it's because the robbery has a lot of tradition and the game is really, really about the players. And you start to learn that because me being an out of state guy from North Carolina, um, coming down the floor, you have to learn about, you know, all the high school robberies. And that's kind of where it starts. You start, it starts in high school where guys play against each other, the seven-on-seven seven camps, and and the, these guys are playing with and against each other for periods and periods, years and years at a time. And to, to have a, a game like this with this much uh, riding on the line for both teams and uh, there's so much tradition of great players and great coaches being in this game, uh, it means a lot. It means a lot for both teams, and obviously it has a lot to do with recruiting as well. Um and when you look at it from a coach's perspective. So it's there's always a lot riding on this game, regardless regardless of the records, regardless of what's at stake. Um, it just happened to be Florida. Florida State's one of the, one of the two winningest programs uh, in the history of the state of Florida. So it's uh, so it's always it was fun for me to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, it's always fun to, to, to get to be around family around Thanksgiving and watch the game now. So, Chris, we'd love to have your thoughts on the team this year. I know you got to see a couple of games. What's your opinion of uh, McIlwain and the team and how they've done this year? Well, obviously, you know, uh, being at Florida uh, in, a, in, a, in a team in the SEC, the bottom, the, the bottom line is about winning. And that's the one thing that they have done and they've continued to do and progress throughout the year. And I know Coach McIlwain talks a lot about um, getting better every week. And I think the team has done it. They've progressed better every week and um that's that's what that's all you can ask the team to do from a coach as a coach is is get better every week and win and win as many games as possible and uh they have i think they have taken advantage of every uh of every opportunity they've gotten uh to win to win the games that they uh are capable of winning and uh, it's, uh, it's been fun for me to, to watch and see because you know being a coach on the coaching staff last year to see a lot of these, a lot of these guys mature and grow it's, uh, it's been a real treat and since you were on the staff last year, you obviously were around both guys and Will Greer and Treon Harris, and it's been uh, certainly an interesting year with regards to quarterbacks for Florida. Speaking of Treon, uh, what getting a chance to coach him and then watch him this year, what do you think he, he does well? What is he looking to improve on? What does he maybe not do so well? I mean, what is or who is Treon the quarterback? I think a lot of people are having a hard time figuring out maybe what it is that he is capable of or, or what his ceiling or future is. Well, I think he's a quarterback that can obviously do a lot with uh, moving moving around in the pocket, being able to move with his legs and and beat you with his legs and with his arm at times. It's uh, and the thing that people <laughs> kind of don't realize for young quarterbacks, it takes time, uh, you know, to grow. And and, and Treon had the opportunity to play as a freshman uh, last year, and he's uh, he's done nothing but get better. And in my in my eyes, from that, from the experiences he's had to. Uh, um, to be able to watch games and come in and uh, do some good things. So it's, 
it's uh, I, I think he's peaking at the right time. Uh, I think he's learning a lot through his through his through his experience and what uh, what short time he's Hay has had to start. Um, every every snap that he gets is going to be a learning experience. That's just the the thing about being a young quarterback, and uh, he, it's a learning experience. And his in-game decision making, in my opinion, has is what really has gotten better over the years. And uh, especially for a young quarterback, I think that's the biggest uh, the biggest jump to being uh, from being a good to a great quarterback is your is your in-game decisions and uh, being able to adjust on the run and adapt and improvise and being able to overcome obstacles and. Um, you know, those are all some things that being a young quarterback you have to you have to deal with, and there are some growing pains at times. And uh, I think he's been I think he's been through that, and he's uh, he's fought through those things. And uh, they got and they, they they somehow they tend to win every week. You know, that's the bottom line that you want from a quarterback. And Treon has been a winner for a long time. He's been a winner for a long time at uh, back in high school at Booker T. Washington, and now at Florida. And and you mentioned some of those in-game, you know, sort of during-the-game reads that you're making as a quarterback. How long do you think it took you before you felt comfortable with your pre-snap read being accurate and then your post-snap during your three- or five-step drop, uh, you know, confirmation of your read and then delivering the ball being accurate? Is that a multi-year process? Is that – does it just sort of click at some point? Yeah, I think uh, I think what you're talking about is being able – especially in the passing game, being able to anticipate the throw. And uh, you got you got to realize this is the first year in this offense for all these players offensively, and it's not just about the quarterback. The timing and and then the repetition, uh, all that, all those things come in time and reps after reps. And obviously, yeah, you got to go through a season. You got to go through a spring, a summer, and all those things. Um, this is the first year that this team, that this offense, is going through this, and. Uh, no, it takes time. It really does take time, especially when you have a young quarterback uh, under under center. So it's uh, you know the main thing you have to have, especially when you're a player uh, at the quarterback position, you have to have patience because you have to understand that it's a process. It's going to take time, and you know I, I had the opportunity to have three offensive coordinators when I was at Florida, so I, I understand a little bit of what Treon uh, and Will are going through as far as just just having to be able to just being able to transition and and to get comfortable completely comfortable where, where you can trust what you're doing, your decision, your in-game decision-making. And, you know, it's a, uh, it's a process. And, you know, it's a, it's, like I said, you go through some growing pains as a young quarterback, but you and if you can continue to, you know, to work hard and watch the film and just tr- critique yourself, be your toughest critique every weekend and week out, um, you really do see the uh, progression come along. What impresses you about McIlwain's offense, either schematically or his preparation of the team? Uh, what have you mm-hmm. noticed that they've done well? Well, I think one of the main things that they do well is that they're balanced. Um, obviously, they, you have to be able to run the ball in the SEC uh, to win to win any kind of championship, and they have definitely done that. You have to, you have to have the ability to run the football and have a, have that be a threat at all times. And obviously, that has done nothing but open up lanes in the passing game for them and when they when they have gotten the opportunities, they have created explosives down the field, which is uh, very obviously creates some very exciting football um, in the swamp. So it's it's been exciting to watch. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, more and more of getting wa- watching this offense gel together. And uh, and the great thing about it is that you have a great defense, and that's one of the things that as a being, being a quarterback, when you have a great defense, 
you can you pretty much are you want to be able to just keep the offense on schedule and uh, just not put the defense in a bad position and uh, because that's that's one of the great things to, to have as a young quarterback is when you have a great defense you don't have to force anything a punt a punt is not a bad play because uh, your defense is able to get you the ball in better field position than what you started off with so just moving forward I'm uh, really looking forward to seeing this offense gel more and more each week and, uh, you know, as they get closer to obviously the robbery game and, uh, and into the back being back in Atlanta. Chris, what's one of your favorite memories or maybe a, a moment that you're most proud of in the Florida, Florida state rivalry? Is there one that sticks out? Yeah, no, no doubt. It's uh, I think it was, um, you know, my first, Actually, my first game at Bill Campbell Stadium, they just named the uh, field Bobby Bowden Field, and um, it was it was coach it was uh, my coach Ron Zook's last game, um, you know, coaching us and uh, at University of Florida, and we were able to get a win for him and for the Gator Nation. Uh, I think I think at the time that we Florida had not beaten Florida State since '86 at Bill Campbell Stadium, so it's uh, it was a huge um, emotional. Um, game for everybody. Um, everybody, the love for Coach Zook, uh, the love for obviously the Gators and Gator Nation, and uh, and they're obviously it's, it's, it's a you know one of the biggest rivalries in Florida football history uh, to go against uh, you know with a guy with a coach like Bobby Bowden across the sideline, and uh, with the great players and and uh, that they've had in the tradition of that program, and uh, just what the rivalry has meant. You know, both teams playing for a national title back in '96. Um, a lot, had, a lot went into that, and so that was my biggest memory: being able to get a win at Doe Campbell Stadium, my um, first time there, and get getting to experience that and getting a win for Ronzo. And Chris, what was it like when you took the field, as you mentioned, as a freshman, and and you're you're warming up or you're you know you're running through your progressions, and you look over and there is Bobby Bowden. I mean, he's a coaching legend, someone you're aware of probably your whole life. What's is it a little surreal to sort of be on the field right there in his stadium, kind of going against him? Well, I'll tell you what. Looking back, um, it is, and especially when you just know the type of guy he is, um, what he's done for that program. Um, it really, it really is surreal. Uh, you don't really uh, get a get time to reflect right then and there because obviously you're preparing, you're preparing for the game. Your mindset is, you know, on winning the football game. But when you when you look back uh, from a perspective now uh, after years of playing there, it's it was special. All right, Chris, uh, give us a prediction for this week. Huge game against FSU, big rivalry game. What do you think is going to happen? And can you give us a score? And what you what do you think? Who do you think is going to win? Well, I don't know score-wise, but uh, I do know that anytime that two robbery teams get together with, with this much tradition is that you have to bring your defense. And I think in these games, defense is so important to put the uh, to give the offense the ball as many times as possible to score. And uh, I, th- I think with the Gators, the way the defense has been playing and the way the defense has been able to um, – take the ball away and get, get the offense extra possessions, I think is going to be very important and, uh, and ultimately uh, help us progress and win the football game. Um, obviously, you have, you have to think about Florida State and their explosiveness on their offense. And, you know, it's always, it's always going to be a test. In these robbery games, it's always going to be a test on all sides of the ball. And the one thing you can't forget is how special special teams plays a role in these games because – 
most of your big plays, your big playmakers on both sides of the ball are going to be playing in special teams in this game. So I think that's going to be a very close look at where these teams get the ball offensively as far as field position, where they punt the ball, are they able to pin the other teams back, you know, what they do when they're coming out, when they're in the red zone. Um, But, you know, the one thing I think that that all, all those things really builds to what this Florida team is about, playing great defense, staying on schedule offensively, and uh, creating explosives down the field when the opportunities come uh, as, they, as they're able to establish the run game. So um, I'm looking for, obviously, a close, a close game, um, uh, but I, I definitely look for a win for the Gators. All right, you don't you don't want to put a number on that one. You don't want to humor all of our listeners with the score. No, no, you know what? It's the, my bottom line is winning, and uh, I mean whether a team scores three touchdowns, one touchdown, or you know seven, like like you see a lot of times, like Baylor and Oklahoma do. It's uh, you know the, the bottom line is winning the game, and especially in rivalry games, you just never know. Um, I think my last game against Florida, Florida State, the score was twenty-one fourteen. So. Uh, we have pretty, pretty, two pretty explosive teams, and uh, but like I said, you have to play great defense. You have to bring your defense in robbery games. It's, it's so important to uh, who wins the matchup, and I think Florida's uh, in good hands. All right, Chris. Now it's my favorite question each week for our Gator Nation guest. Tell me what your favorite restaurant is in Gainesville. Oh wow, uh, favorite restaurant. Oh man. That's a good. Oh, you know what? They don't have it anymore. It was Whataburger. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have it anymore. Yeah, Whataburger was my favorite restaurant because you know you get breakfast uh, pretty late at night, and you know, you know, anytime I got out of study hall pretty late, I would, uh, I would, I would hit up Whataburger on my way home, and uh, it always used to have me going home uh, happy. That's for sure. <laughs> Perfect. Well, yeah, it is. It is a shame the Waterburger on uh, University Ave no no longer there. But um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but perfect. Well, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Alan and I certainly enjoyed talking with you. Uh, it's Chris Leak, 2006 national champ, two time captain, obviously very notable Gator. Working for the Bucks nowadays. Hopefully, after this weekend, Chris, you will be able to uh, raz Jameis Winston. Uh, after a Florida win, for sure. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. We, we definitely we're going to go back and forth, and uh, hopefully I'll have some more bragging rights after this weekend. <laughs> Thanks again, Chris. Thanks, guys. All right, it's FSU week. Maybe our biggest rival. I know I have a lot of strong feelings about this game. What about you? What's your history with this Florida-Florida State rivalry? No, I mean, I hate Florida State, obviously. Um, right up there with Tennessee, those two teams right there. Just pure hatred. My thoughts immediately go back to, to when I was an undergrad and even before that. But I think of the, the Peter Wark years when he was there, and I think of the Dillard's shopping spree that was so famous. Uh, it seemed like college game day was always in Gainesville during those times. And I just remember the everyone singing I Shot the Sheriff, the old the old Bob Marley song, um, <laughs> in reference to, to Peter Wark, because Peter Wark at the time basically stole something from Dillard's and then had said that, hey, it's not like I, I shot anybody. You know, I didn't, I didn't murder someone, I didn't kill anyone. And so everyone's just singing the song, you're at game day, everyone has Dillard's bags, 
I mean, it's just it's like the greatest possible way to be a college student and hate your rival. It doesn't get any better. Spurrier's than that. comments, you know, calling them free shoes university. Oh, just all all of that stuff when Spurrier was there and Bowden were there. It's far different for me now, really. It is because Spurrier and Bowden that was great. Spurrier hated Florida State, and then I think it for me it may have culminated in 03, the swindle in the swamp. That game just infuriated me to to another level, and we weren't even. Really, you know, that was not a good year for us. No. But that was like the height of FSU thuggery. And it wasn't even their fault, really. It's not their fault, right? The refs are horrific. They just gift Florida State the game. But you're thinking, I hate this team. I can't stand Florida State. And and here it is. They steal a game from us at home. Well, we're not even that good, and they're not that good. And, and it's just, that's it. Like, you're just in a rage. About Murderous it. Yeah, it's a state of Florida State. So for me, when I think of Florida State, I think of Chief Osceola. I think of their, you know, I just think of everything that has to do with Florida State, and I think dislike. Like, I want to press the dislike button repeatedly. But, I mean, <laughs> what, like, what about you? What are your, where do your thoughts go? Well, if anyone knows me um, very well, they'll know that Florida State is on my top five hate list, along with uh, Diet Coke and country music and things of that ilk. Uh I want them to lose at everything. I don't care if it's women's water polo. I want them going down. You know, there's no level of, you know, other SEC teams that we have rivalries against. You know, it's like, I don't wish them ill all the time. Florida State, they are, represent all that soulless and evil for me. You know, they're like our evil twin. Yeah, so that's always fun. In a good, fun sports way. You know, I don't hate the people. I don't wish them ill and that kind of thing. But I do love to hate them. They are our bitterest rival as far as I'm concerned. Um, I grew up in Jacksonville. You know, in the 90s, it was a very split town when it came to that kind of stuff. So just a lot of bad feelings um, about this program and this team. A lot of thuggery, like you said. I mean, I, I think about Darnell Dockett, him twisting Ernest Graham's leg in the pile, costing us maybe a trip to the national title, trying to stomp on Rex Grossman's hand. Just some bad stuff. The, hitting Danny Werfel late over and over and over again in 1996. So, yeah, a the lot echo of, of the whistle. Yeah, a lot yeah, of bad right. feelings about this oh. team in this game. Uh, but okay, that's the rivalry. I know we, so a lot of strong feelings from the fans, probably from the players too. What about the matchups in this game? What's intriguing to you about this? Well, I want to say that I'm not as intrigued as I would have been. That's, <laughs> that's kind of what I, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but the matchups that matter are, are the ones that you think matter. This is not hard to diagnose. Can we stop Delvin Cook? A, that, that is going to have to happen. And B, can we somehow, any way, I don't really care what way, scratch out 17 to 20 points of legitimate offensive production? Not 17 to 20 total points where half of them come from special teams and other stuff. Like, can we score two touchdowns and a field goal with our offense using any means possible? Those two things are the things to watch. For me, Florida State's defense is average. Um in my opinion, you know, I think that their rankings show that they're above average, like 17th, but I think a lot of that's been schedule-based. I think teams have been able to move the ball on them. Um, so their top 20 scoring defense, you would expect that from a team with their kind of athletic ability. Uh, their offense is, you know, in the top 50. So I think the matchups really, though, are still going to be Delvin Cook versus our defense, and then it's going to be our offense versus their defense any way possible can we score. What are your what are your what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think, you know, we have the better defense, they have the better offense. I don't know how much better our defense is or how much better their offense is. That'll be the key. I think our defense could come out and pitch a shutout. I think that's a possibility. I don't think that their offense is 
you know, so overwhelming that we can't really shut them down. And then the big wild card is, like you said, can we somehow put up some points? Um, it's really going to come down to, I think, keeping Dalvin Cook from producing a ton of big plays, which has been really difficult to do. He's had some monster games, has a huge rushing average. That's going to be the key for us. You know, and it's going to hurt us in this process. We have so many people injured along the defensive line. What, you know, that was our biggest strength where we had the most depth. And we're going to see how that plays out. We're probably going to be missing McAllister. Bullard doesn't look like he's going to play, although didn't look like that last week and he played. We don't know about Jordan Sherritt. We don't know about Taven Bryan, um, Caleb Brantley. There's a lot of guys up in the air for this game. And this is the game where we need them, you know, to be present and at full strength. Uh, gosh, and that it really is a major wild card for this game is, is those guys' health. So how then, given that news, given what seems to be a string of bad news, <laughs> can we possibly win this game? So it's going to have to be Florida State imploding, I think. They're going to have to make some major mistakes. Uh, most of the games that we talked about recently is like, if we don't screw it up, we'll win. I don't know that I can say that for this game. feels like this is their game to win. And unless they screw it up, they're going to come out victorious. Um, they're, we're going to have to get some turnovers from our defense, uh, which can happen, certainly. We need some big plays and maybe the return game from Callaway, which could happen. But that's going to have to be them, like I think, messing up. What about you? I ugh, the thoughts that run through my mind right now are just negative thoughts. But first, just like I said with LSU, and I'm just going to pat myself on the back right now with LSU. I said that they were a fraud. I said before we played them, I didn't think they were good. And I certainly said it after coming back from Baton Rouge, and they have proven that in spades. I do not think Florida State is a good football team. I think that they're an immensely talented and athletic football team. They are not a good football They're team. thoroughly average, I feel like, in Completely every way. Completely average for a team of their talent level. Yes. Now, let's keep in mind, they're better already automatically than twenty, you know, than, the top, than everyone but the top 20 in college football, just talent-wise. However, at that point in time, they are about as average output as you could expect from a team with that kind of talent. So there's nothing special about them as a team as a whole. Um, we, on the other hand, had moments of having those intangibles. Now I just feel like our momentum, if you could trend our momentum in James's mind, it's like peaking at the Missouri game where like I'm just feeling so good about the way things are going even though we didn't play a great second half and then just like dropping off a cliff precipitously week by week week, week by week by week by week until we hit now so it feels like two teams are going in different directions but Florida State's not really going up so more of that is like me just going down and that's kind of how I echo your feeling for it I feel like Florida State does have the onus of control in this game they have a better quarterback they have a better offense they have a good defense um so it, it, it's going to have to have things going wrong for them, which I think is what is going to take it for us to win, which is not out of the question. No. But that's going to have to happen. So with that, like, what's your excitement level for this game? On a scale of 1 to 10, Florida, Florida State week, are you just, like, amped? It's a night game in the swamp, but that hasn't happened in, like, 10 years or something for the Florida, Florida State game. I mean, are you just going crazy for this game? No, I wouldn't say that. I, I'm still excited for it, but that level's been taken down a ton. When you look at this game midseason, you, this was a potential, like, playoff game where we are you know maybe trying to win the sec they're still trying to win the acc uh you know we're both both teams are good for the first time in several years and but yeah a lot of the luster has been taken off this game uh just with our inefficient play and our lack of production on offense it's hard to get excited about it it just feels like it's gonna if we do win, it's gonna be a slog but i will say on the other side of that 
if we beat FSU, I'll be thoroughly pleased and excited and very thankful. That'll mean we'll have beaten our three biggest rivals, you know, Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida State, all in one year. And that would be incredible. So not as excited as I would like to be. I know I know you're feeling the same way. Yeah, on a scale of 1 to 10, I think I'm on like a 2. Like it's like, it's just, ugh, that's my thought. It's, ugh. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, that's, all I, that's all I would state that. And it's unfortunate. I really, that, I really want to win this game. But, I mean, I'm not excited about it. I think about driving back up from Sarasota, you know, spending time with the family on Thanksgiving and coming in town for the game and, and just being like, I have to watch this offense play. And I probably have to watch us lose in the swamp, which I know will make me mad. And I think all those thoughts. So if we win and it's super ugly, I'll just walk out thinking, great, we won. And it was the ugliest team in America, and it's just disgusting. And I'm taking the win, and I'm happy. But, like, I can't be excited. It's not producing excitement. In yeah, me. it's just so funny to hear us talking like this now because I, I feel like we're definitely, uh, you know, beggars can't be choosers. We wanted a, a good Florida team. We have a good record, and we have a chance to beat our main rival. So let's be, I think, a little thankful in this season of – thanksgiving james yeah i'm thankful for what we've accomplished but i, I don't want to have to watch the future I'm raw just, feelings just oh, unfiltered from that's, james. How, that's what we do it's candid on this show all right um let's go ahead and predict this thing tell me what's going to happen give me your prediction so i think in our preseason predictions and i can't even remember now i'll need claudia's sites to hold me accountable <laughs> to what this was but i think i had predicted a loss for florida state and then i switched it to a win i think in the middle of the season and I'm going back now to a loss, which we're going to lose. That's my opinion. We can win. I'm going to give us a 20% chance of winning um, to quantify it. I think an 80% chance of losing. And we're going to lose because we have an offense that has regressed out of the top 40 to now 80th in points allowed. We have an offense that cannot consistently complete a basic pass. Uh, we don't have a good running game. We have a weak offensive line. We're in a bad spot mentally right now. I know that McElwain said it was a dead fish situation. You walk in the fish market and you look at the team and they're like a bunch of dead fish with regards to the offensive line. Uh, you know, Treon does not provide any energy. He's a quiet guy. He's not excitable. He's not a leader. So you lose the ability of having him pump a team up. And we're just kind of flat. Uh, um, so if we win this game, this will be one of, in my mind, the better coaching jobs any coach could do. Because Florida State is ahead of us, certainly, far ahead of us in the, in the recruiting talent curve. We're not supposed to be as good as we are this year. And yes, they have quarterback problems, and so do we, but they should be the better team this year. So if McElwain pulls off a win here, this would be really, truly spectacular, given how I feel about it. I'm going to go with 23-13 for Florida State. Um, it disgusts me beyond all measure to have to even state that on the air for people to listen to. But I have to give my candid thoughts. That's what I do. So 23-13 Florida State, and, and James leaves the swamp on Saturday night in, in a very unhappy rage, I'm sure. Uh, Alan, tell me you have something better. I, I don't think I do. I was excited to pick us as of a few weeks ago. I still thought we could you know, pull out the victory. We've just, yeah, unfortunately regressed in some ways. I think the more tape teams have on our offense, the more they're able to just kind of clamp down on us, unfortunately. Uh, I This defense has given up some big plays. So I think we're going to see probably a 70-yard Dalvin Cook touchdown. He's done that in almost every game. I don't see why this would be any different. And then maybe them scratching out a few more touchdowns. I think it's going to be really low scoring. So I'm going to say uh, FSU 13-10. to 10. So we've been off on some of our scores. We were off last week. <laughs> um, but generally, I think we've had a good feel for how the games are going to go. And unfortunately, I think 
we're going to be right this week, and it's going to be a low-scoring, painful offensive game. But at a 13-10 selection for me, there's plenty of opportunities for us to win that game. I think it's going to be low-scoring and close. I think that's that's pretty consensus. Yeah, it would be some sort of otherworldly shock if it got high-scoring. I, I can see scenarios where Florida State jumps out ahead and can take control of this game because yeah. they do have such a good running game. Uh, our offense has so many three-and-outs. You know, Dalvin Cook is just a highlight reel, and he can break a few things and put you away. Um, I could also see a scenario we get ahead, and we can put a vice grip on them and slowly squeeze them out because they'll they'll pass. They will try to pass, and, and that's something teams have not been able to do very well against us. But uh, you got to go with Dalvin Cook in a matchup like this one. And we come off a week last week where FAU outgained us in passing and rushing, had better time of possession, had more first downs. This is FAU going against our defense, which is now number three in points allowed, versus our offense going against their defense, which is like number 90. So how could I have any confidence coming into this one, um, especially with all the injuries that we have on the defensive line, which yeah. which is we, we did not That's get anywhere hurt. near the same amount of pressure against FAU that we would have gotten, and now we've got Delvin Cook getting the ball. And he's a one-man team. I mean, let's play a game of like take someone off a team. Hey, James, take Delvin Cook off Florida State. How many wins do they have? Five, legitimately. Yeah, Probably maybe five wins, seven something. I mean, like this that. guy's a one-man team, and so if Delvin Cook's not playing, then I'm switching my score and we're winning. So it's like Delvin Cook is that impactful, and I think you have to go with the best player in a situation like this. So hopefully I'll be wrong. Alan, any closing thoughts before we get to this week's guest? Not really, other than you know, as down as we are on this game, it's kind of low key. A, a win here would be really significant. For this program, I think in a lot of ways, recruiting wise, and just how the feeling of the team moving forward. So, still a lot on the line here. Well, with that, let's get to this week's opposition guest. So, welcome to the program, Tim Linnefelt. He is the senior writer for Seminoles.com in Tallahassee, Florida. Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So, Tim, I wanted to ask what's the feeling around the program right now headed into this game? You know, it's been a little bit of an up and down season. How are the coaches and players and fans feeling? I think they feel all right. I think that, you know, they look at it for for all that has gone on this season. And, you know, there was a, a disappointing loss at Georgia Tech and then a, a, another disappointing loss at Clemson that maybe didn't come as, as far out of left field as the Georgia Tech game did. Uh, I think they still think they have a lot to accomplish. You know, uh, they they beat Miami already, had a chance to beat Florida. Uh, if they do that, they'll reach the 10-win mark for the fifth time in six years under Jimbo Fisher. And I think most people around here, seem to believe that if Florida State can beat Florida on Saturday, they'd be in pretty good shot, pretty good standing, I mean, uh, to maybe get a spot in the Peach Bowl or, or one of those New Year's Six, Group of Six, whatever it is, bowls. Uh, so, you know, I, I think they still think they have a lot to play for. Uh, it's, it's a little different than the last couple of years in that there will be no ACC championship, and unless something really, really, really weird happens, uh, no college football playoff either. But you know, I think they've kind of rallied around the idea that they can still have a season where they beat their rivals, get to a pretty prestigious bowl game, uh, and also they have a chance to set a school record for the most wins in a four-year span. So I think in a lot of ways for a coach, it's, uh, it's almost a, a pretty good scenario in that you know, your, your big goals are off the table, but you still have some goals left that sound pretty enticing. So for the program, do you feel like this is the number one game on the Seminole schedule? Is this the one they would circle the most? I think so, and I, you know, I really think that kind of depends on who you ask. It's probably not that dissimilar to the situation in 
in Gainesville where if, if you ask Gator fans of a certain age, they'd probably tell you Georgia. Uh, but maybe younger Gator fans would probably say Florida State, or maybe they wouldn't just to needle Florida State fans uh, to, to keep it that way. But but I think for for certainly any any FSU fan who really you know got involved or followed the program in the 80s and especially the 90s during the Steve Spurrier Bobby Bowden era, I think yeah this is the this is the marquee game of, the, of just about any season, especially when both teams are good. So. Florida State has had quarterback issues uh, that are a little bit dissimilar from the ones Florida have had, has had, but in a way similar because you don't really know necessarily who the quarterback is going to be. Uh, we know that Everett Golson is no longer the quarterback, and Deshaun McGuire has been. What was the main reason for that change, in your opinion, and has that been something that, that we feel like Florida State is sticking with or feels good about, or is it still kind of up in the air? I think they feel good about it now, and as far as sticking with it, yeah, I, I think you know the job is now Sean McGuire's, um, you know, barring injury or, or real heavy, heavy ineffectiveness. Um, and it's been it's been a weird year. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, it, the the whole dynamic was was kind of strange when you know if you take it back to this summer when the rumors started circulating that Everett Golson would come to Florida State. You wondered how that would play out with Sean McGuire, who was a, a fourth-year junior who was kind of seen as the, the guy who, you know, has waited his turn and done everything asked of him, and, and he kind of thought that, that this time was going to be his time. And it turns out, you know, at least at the start there, well, well no, it's not. It's not your time. It's this guy's time. Um, and, and Everett Golson, I think, you know, had a pretty nice start to the season. He wasn't great, but I think he was good enough. Um, and then suffered a concussion in that Georgia Tech game, which led Jimbo Fisher to give Sean McGuire a chance. And, and lo and behold, uh, he had a really great game. Now, granted, it was against Syracuse, but it just seemed like a different offense with him at the helm. He, Sean, Sean will throw the deep ball a lot more than Everett Golson would, and, and you could just see it was, it was just like a, a jolt of energy when, when Sean came in. And, and then as a result of that, I think Jimbo kind of, thought, well, I'm going to stick with the hot hand going into this Clemson game. And then Everett Golson was cleared and he was healthy, but Jimbo decided to go with, with Sean McGuire anyway. And, and if Sean, and like like the rest of Florida State, had kind of a, an up-and-down performance at Clemson. But I think most Florida State fans felt at the end of that at the end of that game that the, the job with Sean's and, and, and the Everett era was over. Uh, and then a few days later, Jimbo, I think, really surprised everybody by coming out and saying, well, actually, Everett Golson's going to start against NC State. Oh, oh Okay. Um, and so the, the idea, I guess, there being that NC State had a pretty tough defensive front, and they thought that Everett Golson's mobility might, might give them an advantage. Well, he comes out and turns the ball over, I think, three times in the first four drives of the game. Florida State falls down 17-7, to and they're like, well, we got to get this guy out of here. So they, they turn back to Sean McGuire, and, and he, of course, let Florida State rally them to a win. And I think it, at that point, if you're Jimbo Fisher, you're looking at it and, and saying – you know, this all right, this has to be our guy. I got to, you know, he, he's not one to, to go back and forth. I don't think he likes being wishy-washy with his quarterbacks. I think at that point it's like, all right, well, I'm just gonna, you know, commit to Sean McGuire from here on out. So that's the uh, extremely detailed version. I'm sorry if that's more than than what you bargained for, but but that's kind of how we got to this point. No, that's actually good because I was wondering. My next question was going to be, what what is life like after Jameis? Because this year is sort of patchwork, and then next year, you know, the quarterback situation is is still obviously up in the air. Is it is there any thought that that Jameis may have been a key cog to Jimbo Fisher's success, and that without him, maybe you won't reach that peak, or does everyone kind of feel like this is just a transition year until you get the next quarterback in? 
Well, I, you know, I think that's probably it's probably fair to say that you know we don't know that yet. I, there, there's definitely been folks who have suggested that, that like you said, Jameis was a key cog, and that, and like, like I don't think anybody would argue that. I don't even think Jimbo Fisher would argue that. You know, if you have an elite quarterback, you know, you're gonna you're gonna look pretty good. It's it's, it's pretty pretty rare as a team that can uh, succeed the way Florida State did without having a, a really high level quarterback. And and Jameis was, you know, at, at least in terms of his role in, in Jimbo Fisher's offensive system was kind of a savant. I mean, he, he ran that thing. I don't, I don't know that you could find another quarterback to, to run Jimbo Fisher's offense uh, as, as well as he did. So, so yeah, I, I, it, it's kind of an interesting, interesting dynamic at play here. And, and I think with this season, to go back to what still hangs in the balance for Florida State, uh, you know, if, if you can get through this season losing not just Jameis, but also the – you know, so many guys that, that you lost to the NFL, both on, on offense and defense. I think they had you know, 11 guys drafted from last year's team and, and 29 players uh, dating back to the, uh, the end of the 2012 season. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's a lot to overcome. If they could get through this season with, you know, if, if let's say they win their next two games, go 10-2 and two in the regular season, uh, and then, you know, tack on the 11th win there. Now you're looking at it like, wow, you know, if this was Florida State's transition year, uh, they're in pretty good shape. Whereas the other side of that is if you know you were to lose to Florida and maybe lose your bowl game and you're you're entering into next season with you know, maybe a little bit more doubt, a little bit more uncertainty, and, and not as much uh, optimism as there would be if you win those games. Uh, it, it's just kind of, uh, I, mean, I don't know, it, it's, it, it really kind of, the perception of the program I think hinges a lot um, on these last two games. And, and you know, I, I guess it kind of gets off the rails from, from the quarterback question. But I think it's kind of indicative of an overall state of where the program is right now, um, as to where they where they might be going forward and what the expectations are going forward. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, the unquestioned star of this team seems to be Dalvin Cook, though, uh, and he's a guy that's had a really fantastic year despite some health issues. How is he coming into this game health wise? Uh, you know, they say that he's as healthy as he's been. He did have a couple issues. Uh, against Chattanooga last week. He rolled his ankle and, and missed the series, but he came back, uh, finished with a 100-yard game, two touchdowns, and, and was pretty much off the bench for almost all of the, the second half. So I think at this point he's as healthy as he's going to be. Uh, he's still dealing a little bit with the ankle. I don't think the hamstring is bothering him as much, but you know we have seen he's been dealing with these injuries basically since the beginning of, of October, and, and it still managed to be really, really productive and explosive. So you know, it sounds kind of like a cliche, but uh, I think you know, 75 or 80 percent of Dalvin Cook is is better than than most backs in the country. And there's really only been two teams that have stopped or even slowed down Florida State's rushing attack, and that was Georgia Tech and Boston College. They're the only teams that have held Florida mm-hmm. State to under 100 yards rushing. What did those two teams do to do that? And is that something that's repeatable in the future? I mean, what you know, what what went on that led to that result? Well, a couple things. Uh, first, against Boston College, uh, Dalvin actually did get a little bit banged up there. I think he had maybe bruised his ribs or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. So his his workload was, was kind of limited. But I, but I think what you saw in those games was uh, teams just really, really committing to stop the run. I mean, obviously everybody's committed to stop the run against against uh, Dalvin Cook. But it's the you know stack in the box, loading defenders up up near the line of scrimmage, and, and daring. Uh, the quarterback at the time, Everett Golson, to to throw it deep and, and beat them over the top, and 
you know, quite frankly, he either wouldn't or couldn't. And, and you know, Florida State's offense, it wasn't just the running game in, in those games that was a problem. It was the entire offense. Uh, they couldn't get anything going in the air, couldn't get anything going to back those defenders off. Uh, and then the other side of it is that, you know, earlier in the season, and, and to a degree now, Florida State's kind of had uh, some issues on the offensive line. They replaced four starters from last year's team. All four of those guys are now in the NFL to some degree. And, and they've, you know, they've had a lot of different offensive line combinations dealt with some injuries there and they they really had a hard time finding any continuity on the line and it was certainly a major problem uh, against Boston College who you know for for all their struggles on the offensive side of the ball still ranked number one in total defense uh, Georgia Tech I think was is, is much more the the head scratcher if you will but it was, it was a pretty similar uh, story and that Georgia Tech had a couple stud defensive linemen and, and Florida State's young offensive linemen playing on the road you know just didn't handle the moment very well and you know it's Dalvin is you know, he can he can do a lot of, of, of good things and, and can find space where there seemingly is none but if there's no threat of a passing game and, and there really wasn't much of one in those games uh, he's going to have a, a hard time so I think the only thing that's made more of a comeback this season other than the Gators is possibly Jimbo Fisher's hairline uh, what's going on with that <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, you know, I'll say this, that uh, some of the photos that you see circulating social media, I don't know if they're not necessarily doctored, but sometimes it seems like the, uh, the tint on them is a little darker than, uh, than what you see in person. And, and I don't think that it's uh, nearly as dramatic if you see him in person than what some of the photos online lead you to believe. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for your inside reporting on that one. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll keep an eye on it as the week progresses and report back to you. <laughs> Well, let's talk about this week's game. Uh, what do you expect to happen? And, and give us a prediction. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, obviously, I don't think that's going out too much on a limb. Uh, if you remember the Florida State-Florida game from a couple of years ago uh, in 2011, uh, it was not a pretty offensive game. I don't think it's going to be a pretty offensive game on Saturday. Uh, Florida State's offense, especially on the road, has just been a completely different offense. They average more than 40 points per game at home and about 15 points per game on the road. So it is pretty dramatic. Uh, the other side of that, and, and I, you know, I said to you guys earlier, it, it, it's hard for me to get a read on this game so early in the week. But, uh, but if I have to be put on the spot, uh, you know, I think it's, it's hard not to side with the, uh, what I think is the best player on either team, and that's Dalvin Cook, uh, thinking he can find a way to get things done and, and maybe squeak out a, a close and not-so-pretty win for Florida State. All right. Well, thanks for your time, Tim. Uh, and, can... I'm sure, and I'm sure your listeners are absolutely stunned to hear that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shocker, for sure. <laughs> well, that was Tim Linnefeld, uh, senior writer over at Seminoles.com. Thanks so much for the time, Tim. Really, really appreciate it. You got it, guys. Anytime. All right, let's wrap up this week in stellar fashion, as we typically do. I think my favorite segment's becoming this last little segment before we shut things down. Fun fact about this week, often talked about, is the number of NFL players that Florida and Florida State have produced. Um, both schools have three national titles and three Heisman winners, so pretty equal there. Florida's had 49 first-round picks to Florida State's 42, and Florida's had 324 players drafted as compared to 256 for Florida State. So obviously we're more successful in sending teams to the NFL. We're a better academic institution. I mean, really, basically, we're just better in every way. They do have a better circus, you know, uh, you know, you got your picket majors at FSU. You can either be, uh, you know, clown, lion tamer, or trapeze artist. So a really wide selection amongst the circus performance arenas. So uh, James, it's rivalry week. So we got, you know, of course, Florida, Florida State, 
We've got a bunch of other big games. I mean, there's too many really to pick, but let's run through a couple of them here. So I'm going to ask you the game. Just give me your, your quick selection here. Of course, Ohio State, Michigan. Michigan. No, There's no doubt in my mind Michigan is going to win that game. Okay, low-key, really heated rivalry right now that most people don't know. Baylor, TCU, what do you got? Yeah, Baylor's got quarterback issues. It seems like everyone's injured, but it doesn't seem to matter who it is. They're throwing bombs. I'm going Baylor. All right, what about the Iron Bow? Iron Bowl? Alabama, yeah, the Iron Bow. Um, <laughs> I'm just, you know what? This this game could be more interesting than people think it's going to be. It generally is. I got a sneaky feeling that like Auburn might be really competitive in this one, but I've been riding Bama. I hate even to ride Bama, but I'm, I've been riding them. I'm still riding them, Bama. Okay, a game with lots of playoff implications, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. <laughs> this game is a wonderful illustration of a great quarterback as your starter in Baker Mayfield and a horrible quarterback as your backup in Trevor Knight. If Trevor Knight has to play because of Baker Mayfield's concussion, Oklahoma State will win this game handily. If Baker Mayfield plays, I think Oklahoma will win by multiple scores. That's all dependent on the quarterback. I'm going to assume Mayfield plays, and I'm going to go Oklahoma. All right, what about Notre Dame-Stanford? I hate Notre Dame. I always have. I hate how high they are on the polls. I think it's totally ridiculous, and I think Stanford's going to beat them. I think Notre Dame's luck's running out this week. All right. Uh, Iowa and Nebraska, is Iowa for real? Dude, you know, no, they're not for real. They're 11-0, which is cute and nice and all. Nebraska's 5-6. and six. Nebraska's already knocked a team off there at home. They're at home again. It's a really hard place to play. I think Iowa falls this week. Wow. Yeah, Bold. upset special. Yeah, there Bold. it is. You heard it here first. I think I would go you know, with you on all of those, but I, I'm going to stay with Iowa. And I think Stanford maybe wins big. I think that's a bad matchup for Notre Dame, potentially, if they can get their ground game rolling. I hope so. All right, so last one of these, LSU, Texas A&M. I'll give you a little twist here. Does Les Miles lose his job if the Tigers fall? Well, I'm taking A&M because obviously we all know how I feel about LSU. And if you want to believe all the rumors that are out there. The, the rumors are out there that they're going to buy him out at like yeah. $15 million and replace him. Is that then, crazy? Then it's a done deal. Uh, that he's gone. I mean, the rumors are like, he's gone. He's gone, and Jimbo Fisher is going to LSU. Which also seems crazy, too. Which is ridiculous. First of all, you're never going to leave Florida State because it's way too easy to win there. So you're not leaving Florida State for LSU. You're not going to go play Nick Saban In the meat grinder. No. Les Miles, you know, I've been to Baton Rouge multiple times. The LSU fans are not in love with Les Miles. It's not a Mark Richt situation, but they do not love that guy. Now, the reality of a buyout that big is a reality. So I don't know where this rumor started. It, it it seems crazy. Where is Les Miles going to go? He's from Michigan. Like, those jobs aren't open. Like, what happens? Like, I mean, I, I don't know. It He'll get hired immediately. He would. Where would he go, though? Does he go to Miami or, like, USC? Like, what? I don't know. They're not enamored with him, so I'm going to put that in the super believable category that is possible, but financially incredibly irresponsible and difficult category. So maybe flip a coin. Well, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Well, a couple things. I mean, I know there's been an element of the fan base that hasn't been excited about him the entire time. Even though he's had huge success, I mean, he does weird things. He's the Mad Hatter, eats mm-hmm. grass, mm-hmm. does seemingly ridiculous things in the game and somehow pulls it out. Uh, but with this offseason, so many openings, plus that huge buyout, I think they would be crazy to get rid of him. They have the number one recruiting class coming in right now. So whatever happens is going to be really strong. Feels like a just a major pressing of the panic button right now. Yeah, he seems like an underachiever. I think first thought, Les Miles, 
crazy followed by underachiever given all the talent they've had they've had tremendous talent you know how many 10 win seasons they had between like 1960 and 2000 i think it was like one no no he's done great he's done great things i guess the question is do you think you're in nebraska where you win 10 games all the time but you don't win a national title i mean the one title he won he had two losses it was sort of a little bit lucky i think people think but it's interesting it'll be fun to follow and for you (laughs) over under on the number of times we'll hear the god awful war chant this weekend okay it doesn't matter what you say i'm gonna take the over they play that song after every play as long as they didn't lose 10 yards they play it it's infuriating <laughs> it drives me insane yeah likewise it's it's no oh, it's a disaster that and rocky top those two oh terrible i know gosh pick a new song people all right let's close it out here thanks to all the people that helped make this happen thanks to our guests this week we have a lot of fun doing this and we'll see you next week after hopefully a big win